January 12th, 2022. Tonight's class is in memory of Sam Kat and Shalomo Ben Sarah, Alav HaShalom. Let's begin with this first pasuk, Pasperik Pet, Pasuk Zayin in Bereshit. Vayiser Adonai Elohim et ha'adam, afar min ha'adama, vayipach be'apav nishmat ha'im, vayihi ha'adam lenefesh haya. Of course, the description in Perik Bet of the creation of Adam HaRishon. Now, there's much we can discuss and debate and explain with regards to this pasuk. And we have in the past, I want to specifically focus on words of Rashi, which we've as well focused on in the past, but give a different vantage point, a different direction to understanding perhaps the depth of what he in the name of the Hachamim is doing. So Rashi writes, Afar min ha'adama, and the Hachamim picking up on that peculiarity of it, human beings emanating, becoming through the dirt of the ground, wonder, well, where did the dirt of the ground come from with which God crafted human beings? Says Rashi, one of two options. Savar afaro mikol ruhot. It was from the four, well, literally winds, the four directions, what we would refer to as the four corners of the earth. This way, any place that a human being will die, the ground, so to speak, will be kolet. We know that word kolet, like ir miklat, or in, or in Israel until today they have a miklat, that's the refuge area, so to save yourself from all sorts of dangers. And what it means over here is the ground will accept you anywhere that you pass away. Of course, the ground, as we know it scientifically, uh, will accept you irrespective of where you go. You just need to dig it up. The reference in the eyes of the Hachamim, in this, as well as the second interpretation, the most basic sense is, it means since you come from the ground, and as the Torah will tell us later on, after the sin of Adam HaRishon, Me'afar Bata, Excuse me, what's the exact on the You came from the ground, you go back to the ground. It describes your origins. If your origins are where you're returning to, so it's a reference to being taken from all over the place, you're actually returning to the real origins. Alternatively, where did the dirt with which Adam Harishon was created come from? Alternatively, the dirt was taken from the place of Mizbah Adama. Mizbah Adama Ta'aseli. The Torah will later on tell us about God's command of creating a Mizbah, an altar from the ground. It's from there that the dirt with which Adam was created came from. Now, of course, it's not a reference to there being a Mizbah yet. Nobody had created the Mizbah. These are visions of the Hachamim which are meant to teach you lessons. That second one, of course, the lesson is with regards to envisioning human beings as ultimately achieving kapara. If you come from Makoma Mizbah, Halevai, it'll give you the ability to achieve atonement. Of course, that gives you a vision of Teshubah in general. Teshubah is returning to what? It's returning to your own origins. But those are the two descriptions in Rashi in their most basic fashion and the way he sets them forth. Either the dirt is from the four corners of the earth or it's from Makom HaMizbeach. Harambam, in source number three, in a famous statement, Perik Bet Vechot Bet Abechira, Halacha Bet records what he describes as a Masoret. Masoret Biyad Hakol. You should know it's a tradition amongst everyone. Shamakom Shebanabo David Ushlomo Mizbeach is Makom Shebanabo Avraham Mizbeach. The same place where the Mizbeach 
on the Makom HaMikdash of David and Shilomo is the same place that Avraham sacrificed, or almost sacrificed, bound Yitzhak. Vuhu HaMakom SheBana Bo Noach HaSheYasa Menateva. Vuhu HaMizbeach SheHikriva Alav Kain VeHevel. Bo Hikriva Adam Rishon Korban. That means the description throughout is there's this one place of Mizbeach. It's almost as if he's not saying it explicitly. This is that Mizbeach Adama, at least uh, the general interpretation, although he doesn't say it explicitly, from which, as well, the Hachamim refer to. That's where you came from. It means much of what we've done over the course of time is just returning to that same place where we began. Our origins are what we constantly and consistently return to. But what I want to focus on specifically is those two interpretations Interpretations, and we're going to go off of them in just a moment, but just those two interpretations that Rashi set forth, either it's from Makom and Mizbeach, or his first interpretation, the four corners of the earth. First and foremost, I'll tell you what I've said in the past, either in this, this set of classes or at a different time. It's something that's very near and dear to my heart in terms of these two interpretations. These two interpretations, in my mind, speak to the description in the Torah. This is not the, not the theme of the class, but it's important to mention nonetheless. The, the description in the Torah of the two creations in Perek Alf and Perek Bet of Adam HaRishon. If you pay attention to Perek Alf, the creation of Adam HaRishon. In fact, Rabbi Salvechik wrote a full essay on this called The Lonely Man of Faith. And he describes the difference between these two descriptions in the Torah, and they're very different in the following fashion. Just to give you two uh, of many differences between the way the Torah portrays Adam in Perek Alf and in Perek Bet. In Perek Aleph, Adam is created not from the dirt of the ground, it's rather God crafts him. That's what it says. Kadosh Baruch Hu is Boreta Adam. Perek Bet is where he comes from the ground. That whole storyline of Hava being taken from Adam is only a Perek Bet description. Perek Aleph, Hava is created together with Adam. The name throughout Perek Aleph, who's creating, is Elohim. And Perek Bet, it's Hashem Elohim. I mean, this gets many people who are serious about Torah and don't have tradition very nervous. I mean, Rashi already quotes from the Chachamim, the end of Masechet Berachot, who envision and realize these differences in what they're teaching us. Uh, furthermore, in Perek Aleph, the creation of Adam is B'Tselem Elohim. It's with the complexion of God, a hard concept to wrap our heads around. Perek Bet has no reference to that. And then most important for us, because all those differences come together under these two headings, what's the mission of Adam in Perek Aleph and what's the mission of Adam in Perek Bet? Perek Aleph is go out into the world and conquer it. Do bitgatayam You're going to be the head of everything. You're going to be, in the words of Rabbi Salvechik, majestic man. You're going to, to put it very practically, build hospitals, better the world, play the role of your you're going to be like God. You're going to finish creation by going out there. There's deficiency in the world. I say to the Hatan and Kala under the Chupat all the time to the extent that most recently the Kala, has, and I hadn't told her this when I met with the three of us, and that I was about to say it, I was about to break the glass, she finished my sentence. I said, how do you know that? She said, I've heard you say it in classes a hundred times. Anyway, I say all the time that as you're about to break the glass, you're not just, although you are very much so, thinking about the destruction of the Mikdash and that we don't have it, you're thinking about deficiency in general. Although you're finally coming together, you're bringing forth an ihud, a yehud, by 
husband and wife coming together, there's still plenty of division in this world. And that's what you're thinking about. And that's what you're realizing. There's poverty and there's hunger and there's, and there's sickness and there's evil. And that's what you're setting out to realize and understand in this moment. Well, Perek Aleph is go out and fix all that. Find the Ihud. Finish creation. So it's a description of to be finished, to be created. That's what you do. That's Perek Aleph. Perek Bet. What's the mission? What's the mandate of man? Little itty bitty garden. Or maybe great and grand. I don't know. Ralph's going to quote me some midrash. But in the scheme of things, it's not the whole world. And what are you doing? You're toiling and you're safeguarding it. A little bit of letdown, preserving, keeping it together. In the words of Rabbi Salvechik, that's covenantal man. In other words, that's the connectedness, we might say it in a very practical and relevant sense, of building a community. Not a world perspective, but a communal perspective. A synagogue involvement, a Talmud Torah involvement. That's Le'ovdal Shomra. So which one is it? Who are we? Of course, we're both. It describes not two types of people, but two missions that we have in life. Two things that we're always looking to do. On the one hand, we're spreading ourselves throughout the world and we're looking to better it in anything and everything we're involved in. At the same time, we're looking to connect to God in a more narrow sense. Both are important, both are necessary in terms of uh, continuing our existence as sentient human beings. Those are the two descriptions, as I've said many times, of where we came from. The first one is a description of That is who you are. You're all over the world. You're going to better the whole world. Where were you taken from? From all over the place. As a result, go out and better the whole thing. That's who you are. You're You're created, you're crafted, not from the ground per se, but the scripture from the ground all over the place. That's the worship of God. That's covenantal perspective. Okay, that's what I've said in the past. I stand by that in terms of explaining these two opinions which Rashi mentions together as complementing one another. I'd like to take it in a bit of a different direction. In a bit of a different direction which I've thought about in the past. I'm piecing a lot of ideas together hopefully setting forth something that Ralph won't kill me for. Um, that being the case, here's how it goes. I'll, I'll begin in a funny direction. I'll begin with the perush of Gaon mi Vilna to Tikune Zohar. This is, this is widely cited because of, for lack of a better word, the strangeness of, strangeness of his comment. He has the following comment. So he begins by mentioning words which are mentioned in many early Kabbalistic works, and that is that there's a uh, We can understand those words. Uh, the way you say uh, uh, square is like reva is something that's a, a quarter. It's squared, it's four. Inside of, like migo, we have in the Gemara very often. Igula, of course, is igul, is a circle. Some sort of description of a square. Now you might understand the title at the top of the page, a square inside the circle. He's talking about some sort of square inside a circle. What's he talking about? And then he continues, says, and again, those are words in Sefer Abahir, might be in Sefer Yisirat. I mentioned many of the early Kabbalistic sources and works that we have, but now he's going to just get a little bit more detailed with regards. And he says, you should know the ground or the world is square. Now, this is a little troubling. Gaon Mivilna was at the head of science in his time. He was very well versed and knowledgeable in science. 
And it wasn't Gaon Mivilna's time when we realized that the world is round. It was long before, just as an example, in source number five, Tosafot, Masechet Abu Dazara, quotes from Talmud Yerushalmi. That's about 2,000 years, and it's in Talmud, or, or a little bit less, maybe 1,500 years. That's the description over there that the world is round. Gaon Mivilna, are you really saying the world is square? Of course, any. T- Rahit means to run. In context, it's, it's a longer conversation that has to do with audits of Risa and so forth. But I'm, uh, I, I need his next words. I only wanted that for his reference before. And you need the ellipsis before and to fully understand the context. But not, 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 my, not my issue. He brings a source for this. What's his source that the world is square? And, and what I, my, my introduction to his words or my, 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 uh, my war, words of warning are he doesn't mean it. Let's understand that. He does not mean this literally. He does not. Nobody that we are going to address and discuss in this context and as we develop this class will understand this in a literal sense. He doesn't. And if you say, no, he wasn't well versed in science, which he was, he knew every Tosafot. So he certainly was well aware of this. And nonetheless, he's stating that the world is square. He brings a pasuk, Would you know it? The four corners of the earth. Which, of course, by the way, if you think about those words, they are funny that we always refer to it as the four corners of the earth. A circle and a sphere doesn't have corners. So of course you mean north, south, east, west. A little funny to describe it that way. It's he quotes from a sifre, from a midrash halacha, that hakanaf, in that context, Pasuk and Yeshaya is referring to it's to exclude something that's circular. By the way, we know that from the context of where? Sisit, of course. Right? We have kanfot on our clothing. The only time you're going to have a hiyuv and tzitzit is if you have kanfot, which means squared. If it's rounded, you're not hayat. So marba kanfot ha'ar, it's not, a, you know, it's not such an out there derasha. It's a nice derasha. What? what? Vihi begoigula. You should know the world is inside of a circle. Lachen le'olam omed. It's therefore that it eternally stands. What is he talking about? Uh, that's that's what I want to crack together with you. Uh, it's already been cracked long before. Either or, on my understanding, as we'll set forth in a second, the Earth, and he's describing the Earth as being the square inside of a circle. Well, what does that mean? So. Re- So I'm going to use different words, but I'm going to I'm going to go along the same lines as you. Just give it a minute or two. Uh, first and foremost, just to to, to develop this uh, to, from a, a different angle, uh, there is, and I've, I've mentioned him on many occasions. There was a rabbi. His name was Rabbi Moshe Shapira. I had little interaction, well, certainly no personal interaction. I heard many of his shiurim over the course of several years. I have. Pretty much anything that was written, not by him. I don't know that we have anything specifically written by him. I have anything written about his shi'urim because there's a real depth of knowledge and understanding in all of it. So there's a book called Rashi Pirakim. It's uh, this book, Rashi Pirakim, is on the several dapim in Masechet Hagiga, which describe Maaseh Mekava Maaseh Bereshi. It's a lots of fun kabbalistic mystical thought over there. I've quoted from this book once or twice. Uh, maybe it was published a year or two ago. Anyway, he writes over here that he was dealing with this statement of Gaon Mivilna. He wrote a letter in turn to Rav Hutner. Rav Hutner used to be the Rosh Yeshiva of, uh, of uh, Chaim Berlin and then Israel, Pahad Yitzchak. And he said, Katafti b'mikhtav l'Rav Hutner shenir'asha gra, that's Gaon Mivilna, source number four, hitkaven la yabasha bilvad. 
שהיא מרובעת, אך הימים מעגלים את כדור הארץ. He says, what he suggested is, what Gaon מווילנה means is that the ground of the earth is square, but there's a spherical nature to it, it's circular because of the seas. Didn't help us all that much. So you need a little, little one more detail and then it'll all come together before we read his next sentence. And that is, and, and it, it really brings us back to what I was referring to Eddie just a moment ago, when we talk about whose domain is the earth and whose domain are the seas, so this is an easy division. This, the earth is Ha'aretz Natan, Right? But the seas, the yamim, were never handed over to us. The seas are out of our domain. The seas are that godly domain, the divine domain. Yes, Ricky, I owe an entire class on this. But we've addressed this on many, on many occasions to the extent that the, the, the seas, of, you know, the, the seas, for example, in, in early Kabbalistic works, more than once they envisioned the name Elohim as Kel Hayam. He's the god of the seas. Veruach Elohim description of beginning of creation. It's this realm in which there's no form when you put something underwater. That's the godly domain. What he's describing over here, and we'll develop it in a bit, is the following, is that land, human domain, we can and should envision, not physically, not literally, as square, as opposed to divine, godly domains as circular. Well, what does that mean? Why did that help me with anything? Before I even go further, you might now be thinking back to our second source and think back to the Mizbeach and the four corners of the world and already think that I might be going in the direction of the Mizbeach, as we'll address, had to be a square. And the four corners of the earth, of course, description of square, which already is describing I don't want to say it that we're all squares. I don't. I mean, I know we don't really refer to it that way any longer. But there's some square nature to us, as opposed to a circle. What does that mean? Well, Rav, Rav Moshe uh, Shapiro explains in the next paragraph, in the next sentence. Davar agul hu safui mirosh mi millimeter echad kvar efshaladat efo hadavar yigamer. If you deal with a circle and you just have a very small portion of even a giant colossal circle, but you you see the angle on it, you are well aware exactly what that circle will look like. It can't be different, it's a circle. So just a little bit of the angle from it, you'll understand the whole thing. If I give you a little bit of a straight line, do you at any point know where that straight line ends? It could end right there, or it can continue until eternity. It could be a vector which just keeps going, which means to say the difference between a circle and a square is the difference between a being that has a behira, the ability to keep going or to cut it short, that's the square of human beings, and then the vision of the world as being governed by God, which is around the square, and that is inevitable. You can't change a circle. If it's a perfect circle, it's exactly that. It's a perfect circle. In fact, it's cited very often that in Talmud Yerushalmi, in several places, there's a description, I googled this, I didn't do good research on this, scientifically, but it appears as if scientifically it's not true, although it appears to be true uh, at first glance, that creation was all brought forth with circles. Think about the sun and the moon, and raindrops even are circular in that respect. Square features are human features. That's not fully true, I've understood. There's salt helixes of some sort or another which are uh, something along the square side. But in the course examination of the world, that's the difference. It means creation is 
circular, godly, godlike. Why godlike? Determined. There's nothing you can do about that. If it's a circle, it's going to close, and you know something? Once it closes, it's just going to keep going. It's going to be a ma'agal, it's going to be an igul, something that just repeats itself, and you can't change it. If it's a square, and you don't have the whole square, it's just the lines that are being structured, that's human beings. That's what we call bihirah hafshit. Ha'ulam, he continues in the third sentence over here. Hu ribu'ah bigo igulam. Ha'igul hu lelo surat ha'adam, ha'adam hu yoshir, hu lo safui. Yesh lo bihirah, lahagiyah olistot. He says, human beings have bihirah hafshit. We are not safui, we are not determined. But what does that mean that surrounding us there is the circle? Well, of course, the God function in this world, the dichotomy that we live with is hakol galui v'safui merosh. On the other hand, we have a bechirah. That's what's being described over here. Do you understand? In other words, Gaon Midil is touching on a truth of existence. He's describing to us as human beings, we live within this square existence, where we're making those squares, we're determining where our lines are going to go, how far they're going to go. But ultimately speaking, surrounding it, and not really letting us out of it is this circle. That's, that's hard to understand. If there's a circle that surrounds it, of course, it's the million-dollar question. How could you have Bechirah Hafshit with God encompassing all and be pervading all? But that's the description at the very least for now. He continues. I mean, he's got plenty more to say about this in terms of references. And as will we to add to him, he says, for example, after um, Noah sends the Yonah, after the Mabul. Keep in mind, the Mabul is all water where we're redoing and God is seizing control of humanity and existence. It's where you dispelled Bechirah of It's where God hits the reset button instead of allowing us to continue. So that's all circular, that's all yamim, that's all mine. And then when Yonah, when Noah sends out the Yonah, it comes back and there's an ale zayit, taraf befiha. And that word taraf is a little bit of a difficult word. And he has, a, a, he quotes from Rabbi Yosef Rosen, that's the Raga Chavar Gaon, who cites in this context from Ran and Masechet Nedarim and Daf Kafe, who in turn cites from Talmud Yerushalmi that the word taraf or taruf means square. Well, what does that have to do with the Yonah? The reference in turn is there's a symbolic gesture here in the text. The text is describing that what he sees in that alezait is square, is a chance for the continuity of humanity. Humanity are the sentient beings who determine, who create squares. All right, if this is the case, again, just giving you the vision, we can separate them. It's hard to put them together for now, but separate them. Look at two separate shapes and understand them accordingly. And in truth, understand them as we go along in your own practice and life, the circles and squares of existence, the circles being the symbolism of God, determined, can't change it, can't get out of that. The square, you can make it as long as you want or as, as short as you want. Nothing is determined based on the line that goes onto the paper. A circle is the opposite. Well, that being the case, I'll just, what's that? Yes. I'm not understanding. What's the difference between the square and the circle? If I, I'm going to show you. If I, I'm not going to make a perfect circle, but if this was a perfect circle, it means there's a 360 degrees, which means to say if I gave you just a little bit of the coordinate, you know exactly what's now going to happen to us. You realize that is part of a perfect circle, and in turn, it's going to finish right over there. It's just going to, right? Just keep growing at the same rate. 
Same thing. I mean, was, the same thing. The point is you can't get out of it. As opposed to, as opposed to a line... Can, can, it's always going to be a circle. Call it pi if you need. It's always going to be a circle. We don't need to get geometric and, and scientific and, and mathematical. And a square what? A square is not so. A square can continue eternally. As I'm drawing, if you just take this segment, you don't know exactly where this is going to conclude. I'm, it might be a square, which is this size. It might be much longer than that. A segment of this, you can just give me a millimeter of this circle, and you know exactly what the shape of the circle is going to be. You'll know exactly, and you, and you can't really change that because it's a perfect circle. Well, maybe you draw to the conclusion that the square, that a human life is only one line of the square, not the whole square. It is the whole square, but you're creating the square. That's the point. The point is you're creating the lines. Constantly. What are those lines? That's the definitions that you're making in your life and the determinations that you're making. So the full corner of the square equals 360 degrees. No. No, no, no. No, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no. No, well, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that separately. But no, no, and that's, it's inside the square circle. It doesn't, anyway, that all being the case, and I just think about it in terms of the symbolism that you have throughout the Torah. First and foremost, we have a halakhala Moshe Misinai, that tefillin, the Gemara says in Masech Menachot, must be a perfect square. Must be, to the extent that uh, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein deals with in one of his Tishubot. He heard that, uh, that uh, the Briskorov said that it has to be so perfect that you should take out a ruler and measure it and do all the mathematical equations to determine that it's a perfect square, says Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. It's not the way Halakha works. Halakha works based on the naked eye, but it's supposed to be a perfect square. Why is it supposed to be a perfect square? Because tefillin is the tefillin is in some way or another our creation. It's what Rabbi Shamshin Paul Hirsch writes in his commentary to the Torah here in source number eight. Several of these sources I've seen in the past in some books of Rab David Kohn, of Kvul Yavetz, on, also on Kohn well, right next to Chaim Berlin. Anyway, he says, to this mission here in source number eight in his commentary to Sefer Devarim, which has grown to us out of Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim and Matan Torah, each of us is to make a home, a bayit, he's describing the tefillin and the symbolism of tefillin in his eyes, a place for it to be realized and carried out carried out, and moreover, mirubah, by free-willed human activity, as symbolized by, by being square. Angles are not found in nature, only curves. Angles denote human intentional work. Angles of a square is human-like. Circles and, uh, are, so to speak, natural. The world, the godlike part of it. And this house, the bayit, we're creating, again, he has this whole symbolism to it, but what's he seeing in tefillin? Our self-construction. He's seeing us taking Torah, which is godlike, and crafting it for ourselves. How are you gonna craft it for yourself? As a square, of course. I'll just pause for a second. I've long wondered. I did a little bit of research. Obviously, we have no real evidence one way or another. What did the luchot look like? Well, it depends which picture you look at. It depends on which first page of books, you know, ancient books, 500, 600 years ago, where they have the diagram of the Luchot. Sometimes they're rectangles. Other times they're kind of spherical in nature. Well, which one? I've always wondered in this context whether the first Luchot may have been circular because they were crafted by God, and the second ones were a square because they were crafted by Moshe. On the other hand, the Pasuk says that Moshe was to make them exactly like God made them, and you might imagine they were squares 
Shabbos, because he was giving it to human beings, it's kind of going to be human-like. Either way you slice it, what I'm describing is these, these, these shapes, whenever the hachamim will reference them, we might now understand, are going to have a very potent meaning, meaning attached to them. For example, the Gemara Masech Ta'anit and describes this individual known as Choni HaMe'agel. Ever heard of him? It's the individual who, when the, the Jews at the time needed rain, drew a circle around himself. There, so he was known as Me'agel and then demanded from God rain. Imagine the scenery. What's he doing? He's appealing to God. How do you appeal to God? By drawing a circle. I'm saying, this is not coming from my behirah of sheet. This is not coming from my human endeavor and production. I need to go outside of myself. How do I go outside of myself? With a symbol. The symbol of circle. I turn to God and I ask it from him. The Gemara in Masech Ta'anit in the very last Gemara. And we were making a siyum just two weeks ago, Masech Rosh Shana, and Mordechai Salem was there and he was making a siyum on Masechet Ta'anit and he was reading this Gemara and as he said it it clicked for me to add this to my several thoughts on this matter the Gemara has the following last lines in Masechet Ta'anit Atit HaKadosh Baruch Hu La'asot Mahol L'Sadikim V'Hu Yoshev Benehem Began Ed and the description is in the future God will make a Mahol what's a Mahol says Rashi a circle for the righteous ones and he'll sit amongst them what's with the circle? I know we do that when we're younger. We sit around the circle. Maybe that's why we never stop to think about the imagery here in the Gemara. Why a circle? Because when you're describing an afterlife, when you're describing a world outside of the world that we know as human beings, it has to be circular. It has to be godlike. God is amongst you. You're in Gan Eden. It's a circle existence. The description of that mahol is not heke because we're dealing with ring around the rosy and we're dealing with a reality in which the rabbis are turning to us and saying, look at the symbolism. We're dealing with a godlike existence, a godlike dominance, that circle in nature. To the extent that if you push it a little bit forward, I bring you back to our Mizbeach. And as I told you in our first source, our second source, we described how Adam HaRishon was taken from that Mizbeach, or Makom HaMizbeach. The Gemara Masechet Sukkah has the following explicit statement here on Daf Memtet. Kol Mizbeach she'en lo kevesh velo keren velo yesod velo ribua pasula avoda e Mizbeach. What is a Mizbeach after all? Mizbeach is a human construction to turn to God. I'm worshipping him through my own production. My own production has to be square. The whole Mishkan was square inside of square inside of square inside of square because the Mishkan is the human manufacturing and reproduction of Ma'amad Har Sinai. Ma'amad Har Sinai on the top of the mountain may have been circular in nature. When we recreate that, we create it as square. God, in fact, tells us to do it that way because we are dealing with the human domain and involvement, our Bechira Hofshit world. And to the extent further, and listen to the imagery over here, the Mishnah and Masechet Sukandaf Memhed describes Hakafot. It describes the following Bisman HaMikdash on Sukkot, is to have this square Mizbeach in the middle. And then, of course, it was square and it had the ramp on it, the kevesh, right? But the square's in the middle. And then we would be makif, we would walk around it. And as we would walk around it with an arava, either in our hands and against the mizbeach, we would turn to God and say things like, Ana Adonai Hoshi'ana, Ana Adonai Hatzlihana, Anivahu Hoshi'ana. We're turning to God and requesting his salvation. Listen to the imagery, a square in the middle, and then a hakafa, and the word hakafa 
is circular. We do it today, hakafot, of course we do a circle. Uh, the word hakafa, in fact, when the Torah describes the isur of lo takifu pe'at roshechev, lo tashchitet pe'at lo takifu, you're not allowed to round your head. In other words, you need those sideburns. Rashi writes it explicitly based on divrei hachamim. Takifu means to make something round. So when the Gemara, when the Mishnah says they were makifin et listen to the imagery and understand what the reference point for us is in terms of what those hakafot once upon a time were. We are situated, quote unquote, in the middle. In this moment, we turn to God and we say, hey, listen, God, we're kind of trying to do this alone. We're doing it in a relationship, but we're trying to do this with our bechirachovshit. We want this reciprocal relationship. We do, you reciprocate. Sometimes we need you just to, to really strengthen that circle around us. And we're going to designate it through the symbolism of the square in the middle, meaning our involvement, but then realizing that you're around us. And it's in that moment, just like we turn to God and we say, could you kind of get involved in this moment? Instead of our actions kind of bringing this forth, could you bring your actions forth? That's the square inside the circle. We're that square. And we spend much of our lives in that square and crafting the square and making the lines of that square. And yes, Albert, making every single one of the lines and putting them all together. But ultimately speaking, sometimes we look outside of the square and we realize, we realize God not only has the potential, but does exert that power of using that circular power, the power which is not in any way dependent upon us, the power which is going to happen anyway. It's determined. It is God determination. And we ask him, could you get involved with that? But I bring you back to our first midrash before we bring this into the final stretch of matters. Our first midrash is the creation of Adam Arishon, either from Makom Amizbeach, a perfect square, or from Arbakan Fota Arts. It's describing who we are as human beings in a world which is round, the ground which is square, the human beings which are square, who exert and empower themselves with this behirah of shit which God imbued them with. Now, how do we understand, I was going to say how do we square these two concepts, but a little too much pun intended in that context. How do we understand both? Now, it's hard to really understand both at once. Of course, Harambam tries to deal with this. He grapples with this in his Mishneh Torah, and Ra'avad slams him. He says, are you kidding me? Nobody knows how to fully understand Behirah Hofshit within a world of godliness. Nobody fully understands our words, a square inside of a circle. But just last night, I, m- I mentioned, I referenced the words of Ramchal in his book, Kinat Hashem Sevakot, and I'd like to bring you back to a thought that I mentioned last night and mention it in this context because I think it's very telling in terms of a general understanding of much, if not some, of what takes place in our own lives. Here's what Ramchal does. Ramchal focuses on that first work, word in the Torah, Bereshit. Now, Zohar, in, in, in one or two places, the, the Kabbalists in several other places, notice that word, which is a difficult word. Bereshit means in the beginning of. That's a difficult word to translate. In the beginning of what? Uh, what? It's a, know, an English or a, a literary person would have a lot of problems, should have a lot of problems. In the beginning of what? In the beginning of what? So in the beginning of God created him. In the beginning of what? There's many interpretations of this. What we often say is the beginning of time. That's how Sforno says. That's how Gaon Mevilna interprets it and so forth. Rashi, of course, says, Bet is Bishvil Reshit. For Reshit. What is Reshit? Torah, Israel, the Midrash has other examples. Alternatively, uh, says Zohar in, in one or two places, it's Bet, two Reshit, two heads. Not two heads who crafted the world, not two beings who are godlike, but rather there are 
two heads to the way this world could and does exist. There are two modes of existence. What Amchal goes on to describe is, and he uses Kabbalistic terminology, which we'll use as well, a realm known as Chokhmah, a mode known as Chokhmah, and a mode known as Keter. Chokhmah, he describes as this potential which every human being is imbued with, that spark of inspiration, the ability to craft and to determine on our own, and in turn, to turn to, to have God imbue us with help when we do one way or another. The Torah is Reshit Chokhmah. And the Torah is my ability to test. The ability to find within Torah means I determine, based on the coordinates and the structure which God gave me, the continuity and the direction that this world and that existence will take. I go and I, I craft that direction. That's my Bechirah Hofshit. That's the realm of Chokhmah. However, says Ramchal, God, and he references a Gemara in one place, Masechet Sanhedrin, which describes the world as being a, a span of 6,000 years. Are we to take that literally? Not certain. I'm, I'm inclined to think no. But the description is 6,000 years. And if we hit 6,000 years of chokhmah, in other words, of you're allowed to determine this. You and me, we're going to try our best to find God and to establish and, and fix this world and bring it to the state of godliness that it should be. And you hit 6,000 years, quote unquote, you hit that end point, what happens then? Then God injects what's called keter. And keter is, I can't explain it to you, it's godliness. It's determined, it's going to happen, and you know something, you're not going to understand anything about it because it's the crown on the top of the head. I can maybe get into the head, I can't get on top of the head. That's keter. In the domain of keter, the Torah as we know it, is altogether different. Torah speaks to me as a human being. Keter is beyond human capabilities and constructs and understandings. Keter is, in our words, the circle. Chokhmah, in our words, is the square. Now, which one and how is it got? Well, I told you, at 6,000 years, we'll have the, the realm of Keter. I think, however, and I'm suggesting this, I think there are glimpses in our own lives, whether we intuit it or we realize it or not, where Keter kind of, not reigns, but takes force. For example, skip to the source number 17, it's this well-known Gemara in Masechet Menachot. And I'm going to develop the Gemara with you and try to get across the point I'm trying to make and then make it a little bit more practical and real as a possibility. The Gemara is this well-known story in Masechet Menachot and Afkaftet Amutbet in which Moshe finds God and God is doing what? Either before or after giving us the Torah, he's putting crowns to the letters. He's tying these crowns on. What's that? I should be uh, careful with Ralph in this context. Uh, 150 times. Oh, so, so hopefully this is one of your 150 interpretations, or 151. Anyway, it says the Gemara is crafting these crowns. And uh, Moshe turns to God and says, why are you doing so? Says God to Moshe, you should know many generations from now, there's this individual, his name's Akiva ben Yosef, and he is going to be Doresh. He's going to have Derashot for each one of those crowns to the Torah. And says Moshe, show me him. Of course, Moshe goes into the future, observes the classroom of Rabbi Akiva, doesn't understand what's going on. All of speaking understands that this is Torah Halachal Moshe Misinai. Somehow it taps into the Moshe Torah. 
as we've had conversations on understanding that in the past, Moshe then turns to God, and here's the key, key lines, two key lines that I want to address, and says, why aren't you giving the Torah by him? I mean, he's pushed this forward so much. Says God to Moshe, and I put it in bold, Shetok, be quiet, this is my thought. What type of answer is that? Uh, that sounds like what my grandfather says to, used to say to us, just keep quiet, just keep your mouth shut. Is there, any, uh, is there any depth to this other than hanistarot lahashem elokeinu? What does that mean? Moshe asked God, why do you give the Torah by way of Rabbi Akiva? The answer is be quiet. That's what I thought. Okay, then he continues and he says, oh, well, show me, uh, you showed me his Torah. Show me his sachar. Let me see Rabbi Akiva's sachar. Of course, God reveals to him that terrible ending of Rabbi Akiva in which his skin is being raked off by the Romans in his terrible and gruesome death. Moshe says to God, Zo Torah this is his Torah, and that is commensurate to his Torah. That's his sachar. God's response again, the enigmatic word, Shetok, quiet, an identical response in each circumstance, what I'm suggesting is as follows. Those two reshits to existence that we refer to, remember those two reshits? One being the chokhmah, the square existence, the existence in which humanity powers it forward, the existence of bechirah chofshit, well that's the first response of God. Kach Allah keep in mind there are two modes. I had two thoughts for how I could govern existence. One mode is you, as human beings, you govern existence. You determine it. As a result, the Torah that you have is a Torah of chokhmah. It's not the crowns of the Torah of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is in an altogether domain, different domain. Where is Rabbi Akiva? Rabbi Akiva is in that circle around. Rabbi Akiva isn't in the square in the middle. Rabbi Akiva, in fact, in the well-known Midrash, when he enters into this pardes, he turns to his friend, and he tells them, don't say mayim, mayim, don't just see water everywhere. What do you mean water everywhere? We've developed, we've discussed this in other classes, but the reference is Rabbi Akiva is that individual who lives, quote unquote, in the circular, sea-like domain, the shamayim domain, like bet shamay-ish as well, outside of the this-worldly existence. That's an altogether different vision of Torah. God's response to Moshe in this Midrash is, shetok, these quote 6,000 years, the life that we live is that square existence, is that chokhmah existence. I couldn't give the Torah by ways of, by means of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is out of that. Rabbi Akiva is in Keter. That in turn explains his punishment as well. This is his punishment? Do you know? Can you imagine the accomplishments of Rabbi Akiva in his life? Do you know his merits? Do you know his what he's been able to accomplish? Do you know his students? Do you know how he brushed himself off after the death of 24,000 students and reestablished Torah. He's the father of Torah Shbaal Pen. This is his sacha. What's the response of God? You want to know what that's referring to? That's the Keter domain. That's the domain in which this is determined. You as a human being, you're not, you're not determining this. It's not your actions which determine this. This is the way I determined it. And you want to know something? You'll never understand that crown at the top. That's the Rabbi Akiva figure. Maharal touches on this. I put it in the last source in Tiferet Israel. He doesn't say it exactly in my words. But if you piece everything together, what I'm setting forth for you is the following. The life we live, generally speaking, we envision 
And we should do so as this square existence, one in which we power the continuity and the direction of life in this world. But there are moments, such as the Byakiva moment, and I'm suggesting further, there are moments in our history and in the continued history of the world, which we can't fully understand. Now, we can perhaps suggest those moments are, quote, God allowing for Mikre. God could build into this in some unfathomable way. Mikre, he allows for this to just develop. We've discussed, we could discuss. Alternatively, those might be moments of what we'd call instead keter. There is the hand of God over there. Oh, but I can't understand it. That's right, you can't understand. No, but they didn't deserve it. That's right. In a this-worldly vision, they didn't, they didn't deserve it. In an out-of-this-world, in a keter existence, in that circular, determined existence, the God-like vision, oh, well, that, that is what they were deserving. What, what God, well, God was directly involved over here. It's almost a glimpse of, quote, what might be in the future. So which one are we living in? Well, we are living in that square, square in the circle, which means to say we continuously look within this world of square that at the future and at our present and even our past and look for establishing and finding what Ramchal would call Yehud Hashem, what many of the Kabbalists would call, call, call it so, or what we might just call Tikkun HaOlam. We want to better existence, find God in existence, bring this world to its ultimate salvation through our own deeds, our own actions, our ability to draw those lines. But if you don't pull this off, and you're not going to be Akiva who sees it in this world, but doesn't really belong in this world because he's in a future domain in that respect. Well, ultimately speaking, says God, I'm going to have the last word over here. I will finish that circle around this square. We will finish this. I will. Listen to the imagery of that pasuk. That de'a et Hashem, knowledge of God in the future, will be like the water which spans over the seas because knowledge of God at its core, at its greatest core, in that moment in which the square is finally actually finished, well, you got to that circle. You, you ironically, through the square, reached out and found that circle. What happens at that juncture, Ralph? That's when it all ends, right? I mean, that's what we've discussed on many occasions. That's the moment of emet. If you want to put in the words we've discussed in the past, it means the square is the tov and ra challenge throughout, if we want to use those words. And the circle is that encaps all encapsulating emet and sheker, which is there, which is there. And that brief glimpses and moments in life, we'll see it, we'll have an appreciation, of, a comprehension of it. Uh, Rabbi Akiva can live his entire life in it to the extent that that last moment is incomprehensible. That's right, that's the Keter domain. That's just Emet, that's just God saying this is how it works. Those are the two Reshits. That, in my mind, is a description of our life at its core. To bring you back to the Midrash, which we began with in source number two, to envision the life of a human being, we could be led in one of two directions. I can envision my life as all being determined. I could say everything is from God and everything is predetermined by God and everything is just that circle. Nothing I can do about it. It's all just that circle. I can't change it. One iota. Alternatively, says the Midrash, you want to know where you came from? You came from squares. You are crafting squares. 
Stop with the circle. The circle's around you at specific junctures in time. Draw the circle like Honi HaMe'agel. Go around the Mizbeach, but continuously and constantly in this life, envelop yourself by Chokmah. Find it in the Torah. Find it in the Bechira Chofshit, in the Sachar Va'onish, in the ability for human beings to craft and create. That's the Midrash. The Midrash is words of wisdom to us, words of Chokmah, pun intended again. And that is life must and sh- should and must be lived in that with that vision in that domain of chokmah of Torah providing us with structure and direction and our understandings our perceptions our actions our determinations really powering the direction of existence